Welcome in everybody to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. John Harris alongside Mark Vandermeer, and we are moving ever so closely. If my math is correct, 15 days from today, the Texans sit at 2-12 and 12 and will be making picks in the first round of the NFL draft. 15 days away, draft party at Miller Outdoor Theater. Get out there. Last year was absolutely awesome. The energy, the vibe, it was unbelievable. Uh, and you can hang with Mark and myself and also Dre's coming along and Robert Hensley. So come hang with us for the draft party, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Mark, good evening. How are you? Good evening. All right, so a couple of things about what you just said. I love our draft show, and with you, Andre, me, talking about it, and Robert Hensley chiming in. I love Robert's voice, mm-hmm. the reports, because yep. – comes in like such an official news sportsman yes he does well the word is the ravens are going to trade and i'm thinking oh my gosh yeah. what's happening now and it sounds awesome i just love the sound of it all i'm a big audio guy in case you didn't realize this the other thing is this here's why you want to be at the draft party what if something happens at two that we weren't thinking of and i know that's the big talk this week last couple of days especially mm-hmm. but what if that happens how will people react you want to be there to see that, all right? Because it brings up all the other conversations we've had over the years about the draft party, about J.J. <laughs> oh, Watt, Mario Williams, all of that stuff. What if something different happens at two? And then what? I, you know, all this talk is interesting, Johnny, because if they don't take a quarterback at two, people are acting as if there will never be another quarterback ever in the history of the game to take, right? In this That's- draft or any other draft or any yeah. other t- in space look they could move up to seven who oh lance had that moving up to seven to take will levis i'm not saying yeah. that was the most popular thing in the world but that's you know everything would be in play if they don't take a quarterback at two so i think you just have to wait and see how it plays out one gigantic if hovers above it all but hey this is what we're here for right Oh, yeah. Today has been a, a pretty, pretty wild day with some of the uh, rumors that are out there about front office shakeup and whatever. But we're not uh, going to talk about that. We're going to talk about these two picks, two and 12. We're going to talk about these two and we're going to play a game. I like this. In fact, Drew Doherty and I did a little bit of this on In the Lab and I wanted to expand it with you. I'm going to hit you with various options. So here's the deal. Miller Outdoor Theater, Draft Party. And I always think about this. Whenever I'm driving over to the draft party, I always think about what are my thoughts going to be at the end of tonight? Mm. So last year when the Texans uh, drafted Derek Stingley Jr., then traded down, drafted Kenyon Green, I remember driving home like, yes, man, those are two positions we really needed, two SEC guys. I love the fact Kenyon's from Tascacita. I was really really excited. And I thought it was interesting as fans were filing out, they were – like walking by with that look like, what do you think, John? Like, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm on the radio right now. You can go listen if you're going home. Um, <laughs> but I always think about that. Now, there have been times when Thursday night the Texans did have a pick, so we just went home like, okay, that was a really good draft show, but there were no pick. Last year there were two picks. Now there are two picks. So I'm going to play this game with you, Mark. I'm going to give you the two picks at 2 and 12 or maybe change the scenario a little bit. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, how are you going to feel when you're driving home Thursday night after the draft? Okay. All right. Let's do it. So the first scenario is just going to be really easy. The Panthers take CJ Stroud at one, the Texans take Bryce Young at two, 
And then at 12, the Texans take Jackson Smith and Jigba, Ohio State. Bryce Young, Jackson Smith and Jigba, how are you feeling driving home that night? All right, we all know that long-term, you never know how something's going to play out. But in the short term, draft night and beyond, up until opening day with whatever happens there, this is the blue chip, best feeling possible among the fan base, right? Yeah. Went home with a shiny new quarterback and a shiny new wide receiver whose brother plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates, by the yeah, way. I absolutely. Didn't pick up on that, like so yeah. many of us until last night. I thought, how many Smith and Jigbas could there be in the yeah. world? So let's look it up. Anyway, <laughs> I think I, I had a lot of company in that. But if you had those two guys, I think that's the best feeling you're going to have coming off of that night for most of it, right? For most of us. I think that 75% approval rating, whatever the high percentage would be. And I would feel great. I think everybody would feel great. But you got to see it work out in September. Sure. October, November, and years beyond, you still have all those concerns you did about Bryce, but you're happy you got Bryce. And I'm wondering what happened with Carolina. Hmm, so they went for Stroud after all. Interesting because the betting favorite was young, then it became Stroud, then it became young again. And what happened on draft night? We'll have all those questions to ask. And you'll always wonder who did you pass up? And if you take Jackson Smith and Jigba at 12, who went at 13, 14, 15, and how'd you feel about that? But I think I think I have a lot of company here that that would be the chalk of the best feeling possible exiting Thursday night of the draft. Am I right? I think so. I have one that I might put ahead of it. Might. Okay. Might. I'm still I'm still contemplating. Nellie Carter drops and you take him at 12. Well, come on, man. We got 20 more minutes in this segment. You're oh, just stealing. You just steal. He is stealing them at this point. Never mind. Okay. Okay. Let's play this scenario. Here's scenario two. Your favorite Indianapolis Colts GM trades up to number one. Oh. And takes Bryce Young. The Texans at two draft CJ Stroud. And at number 12, they draft. Guard Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern. Your thoughts driving home that night? Okay. Offensive linemen are not sexy picks. They might be great. They might help your team for a decade. But draft night, you're kind of thinking, okay, great. You know, Tony Mandarich once got the fans excited, right? Right. That didn't work out too well. Eric Fisher got the fans excited. I know, long career, but not exactly the one you thought he could have. Yeah, don't even bring up Dwayne Brown either. Uh, Dwayne Brown, uh, some draft prognosticators were not in favor of that selection. So they're not always the sexiest pick. Not that they're not going to work out, but I'm talking about sheer draft night sexiness, right? Yeah. But if the Colts move up to number one and Carolina moves out of that spot, I'm thinking they found something they really don't like about Bryce Young because they spent all the capital to move up. They did all the research and they were about to go all in on Deshaun Watson last year. Mm -hmm. For some reason, they went all in to number one, dropped to four, which meant they're probably losing Stroud and could lose Richardson as well. Mm -hmm. And they felt okay about it because they made the deal in this hypothet hypothetical situation. Yes. So I'm feeling like, oh, the Colts might have made a mistake. Maybe Bryce Young. There's some flaws there beyond what was transparent to the world, right? So... I'm feeling pretty good. You got CJ Stroud. You got an old lineman. They felt they needed him. 
you know, I'd still prefer a sexier wide receiver pick at 12 or a pass rusher or somebody like that. But I'd feel pretty good. I'd feel about uh, about 55, 45, 60, 40 leaving Miller Outdoor Theater that night, Johnny. Okay, scenario three is what I call the OG theory. This comes straight from John Lopez. He said, I can't remember which day it was, Tuesday or Wednesday. What's the day? Wednesday. I think it was Tuesday. He was talking about he's come to grips with this scenario at 2 and 12. Okay. And number two, Texans select Will Anderson Jr. Mm-hmm. At number 12, they select Bijan Robinson, University of Texas. A Will Anderson Bijan Robinson combination at 2 and 12. It's the OG theory. How are you feeling driving home that night, Mark? I'm not feeling – see, I feel really good about Bijan Robinson, but I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. You have needs here, and in your backfield, you have Robinson, Pierce, and you just signed Devin Singletary. Right. Feeling like you've got a stacked backfield, and your O-line is better than a lot of people think. So that's right. pretty cool, right? But what's the plan at quarterback? Mm. I think the general feeling, if they did something like that, if they don't take a quarterback with two or 12 or move back into the first round late and take Hendon Hooker, if he's still there, I feel like you're leaving Miller Outdoor Theater on that Thursday night really perplexed about what the plan at quarterback is. And you don't have the first pick the next day, even though it's pick number 32. We talked about this. Miami doesn't Mm -hmm. have a pick. Very confusing, Johnny. But you have the second pick. If you had the first pick on day two, I'd feel better because whatever quarterback fell, you have your shot right there. But if you don't have that pick, which you don't, somebody can move in front of you and take Mm -hmm. that guy. They got all day to do it, all day to make those calls and make a deal and do it. So I'm not feeling too good if they do that because I want to know what the plan at quarterback is. I'm very impatient here, like a lot of people, and I need to know what the plan is at QB after night one. I need to be able to at least imagine what it is and see it clearly, you know, imagine it with some clarity, if you will. Okay, let me let me take one of the scenarios I already gave you and let me let me let me adjust it a little bit. Okay. So you said the first scenario I gave you, I gave you Bryce Young at two, Jackson Smith and Jigba at twelve. Yeah. So let's take that and tweak it a little bit. Let's go Will Anderson at two, Jackson Smith and Jigba at 12. Yeah. And a trade up back into the first round to get your guy, Hendon Hooker. Is that scenario, A, better than the first one I gave you? B, how are you feeling when you're driving home that night? Okay. Let me tell you something. I think (laughs) if they do that, they've done the research. Yeah. I feel really good about that. Really good. I might feel better about that than scenario number one, which was 75, 80%. I think I'm feeling 85, 90%. I love Hendon Hooker. I'm willing to wait. I am willing to wait. I've waited this long. I can wait another six weeks or whatever it's going to take to get him on the football field. And I think a lot of rookies aren't ready to start anyway, right? But if you draft a rookie one or two, you're probably going to start him. I get it. I get it. But you don't have to. And you have Case Keenum in the building. You still have Davis, but you have Case Keenum in the building, veteran starter and backup. And I can wait for Hendon Hooker to get there. I drafted Will Anderson. I feel really good about him being a stalwart defensive end. And I feel really good about Jackson Smith and Jigba. And my wide receiver group, which now includes John Mechie coming back, Nico, whatever you can get out of him, as long as he stays healthy. And you can get a lot out of him if he stays healthy. And the rest of the guys we always talk about. I'm thrilled with that scenario. Write me down for that scenario. 
I what you had me watch the Peyton Manning, Archie Manning, Eli Manning, Hendon Hooker special. I know mm-hmm. he, they did four quarterbacks, not CJ Stroud, the four that went to the Manning Passing Academy. So it was Levis, Hooker, uh, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson, right? Right, right. Those four guys. And the the one they did, the show they did about Hendon Hooker was Awesome. They played a clip on the big channel yesterday on ESPN as well. So it's on ESPN plus for those of you who don't know that wins you over to Hendon hooker, you know, oh, yeah. and I'm not saying the Bryce young one turns you off to Bryce young. It doesn't at all. But if you had any doubts about Hendon hooker, that, that is a doubt remover right there. If you watch that special. Yeah, there's no question. Okay. Let's go to the, let's go to the LZ theory. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Lance Zerlon, our good buddy, put together a mock. He has it to Tyree Wilson, the edge rusher, defensive lineman from Texas Tech. And at seven, because he moved up, he went and got Will Levis, quarterback, Kentucky. How are you feeling driving home after that scenario? Well, I want to hear their explanation because obviously they did the move to move up to seven and take Levis in this hypothetical scenario because they felt Levis was the best guy either left yeah i wonder who's left in this hypothetical here is richardson still on the board no hooker is probably still on the board richardson's not stroud is not young is not but hooker is and they go up and get levis you know nick and D'Amico have done the research and i trust them if they think tyree wilson is that much better than will anderson for the second pick in this draft i've got to trust them you know i have to give them the benefit of a doubt i always say this all of us who talk about the draft stuff and everybody on 610 and everybody in the universe, they don't have access to the same information that the people in those draft rooms have around the league. They don't. They can say they do. They can put in the work. You can watch all the film, but there's still little nuggets of info that you get from the coaches who worked with them, friends of friends, and you get anecdotal stuff. Look, I don't want to play telephone with draft analysis too much, but they have so much information. Could you get analysis paralysis? I suppose so. But they still get more information than even you get, Johnny. So I think that... If that happened, I'd have to trust them, give them the benefit of a doubt. I'm not saying I'm thrilled that night, and I don't think the fans would be totally over the moon about this exactly, but it might work out to be the best thing for this team. We'll see. I think the Tyree Wilson, Will Anderson comparison, if you want to go there, is a lot closer than than people think and people imagine. Um, I, I mean, I think it's I think it's a lot closer. I think Will's been just a bigger name. Now, what could separate them is an injury history. And Tyree Wilson's had two years of season-ending injuries, and I don't think Will Anderson has missed a game. And and that that does that does matter, especially considering you know last year drafted Sting and he was coming off two years of of injuries, and then he was injured last year. Now it's you're you're playing the long game, so hopefully Sting is going to be healthy going forward and and rock on from there. But uh, that is I think part of it. So here's the scenario that. This is the one that that I I think I like the most. Oh, okay, wait. Before I ask you that one, yeah, let's tweak that theory. Tyree Wilson at two, no trade up to seven. You stick at twelve, and you take Hooker at twelve. All Real. four, the first four are off the board, Real. so Hooker's the last one, I guess, of the first rounders. You take him at twelve, so you have Tyree Wilson at two, Hooker at twelve. How you feel? Thrilled because I've fallen in love with Hooker. Okay. Yeah. Look, if, they, if Bryce Young's there too, I'm taking Bryce Young. Yeah. But after that, and I can even talk myself into Richardson because, oh, yeah. you know, he's going to make plays. Mm-hmm. He's going to, you put him in the lineup. It might not be pretty all the time, but plays will be made. 
I'm out. I might go two quarterbacks. Here comes <laughs> Jeff Driscoll again in the form of Anthony oh. Richardson. Did Vanderbilt <laughs> really say that? There are people driving their cars off into ditches <laughs> as we speak. As <laughs> the runner, no, he's more than that. But Richardson, what do I say? It's like Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton had a baby, and yeah. Anthony Richardson comes out. And we'll see how it goes. You know, people forget that Cam Newton threw for over 4,000 yeah. yards his rookie season. How about the first two games as a rookie threw for over 400 yards in his I, first two games? That blew my mind because incredible. wasn't this guy supposed to be an occasional thrower and yes. much runner? And, yeah, he can throw some. But And I know the college stats are better than people think. They're, he's plus 60% in college. At yeah, yeah, he was, yeah right? he was good. Richardson he was is really not good. that. Uh, but I know you've gone over the drops and the whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so all that. I've done the mathematics data. on it, of course. All okay. that data. Go ahead. So I'm going to say, all right. How do you feel in this scenario? Mm-hmm. Let's take that Richardson scenario. Pick number one, the Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young. And pick number two, your Houston Texans select Anthony Richardson, University of Florida, all the way down to 12. Nick Casario has stayed at 12 because Jalen Carter from Georgia has fallen to them at 12. You draft Anthony Richardson and Jalen Carter at two and 12. How are you feeling driving home that night? First of all, Vegas just put this at 10,000 to one. All right. Forget Vegas, baby. Forget Vegas. I'm I'm making this happen. It's Anthony Richardson at two, Jalen Carter at 12. How are you feeling? I feel like they got good information on Carter that he's going to be good yep. as a citizen in mm-hmm. the building. D'Amico coaching him. The culture D'Amico is instilling here, I think it's very strong. D'Amico's ability to rate, relate to players, uh, work with his assistants. I, I really think so highly of him that whatever issues may or may not exist with Jalen Carter, I believe D'Amico Ryans, if he felt that he could work with Carter, I would trust him. Now, maybe he'd be wrong. I don't know. But Carter at 12, you get a prospect like that at 12, Johnny. It's ridiculous. We were talking about him as the possible number one overall pick in this draft a few weeks ago before what happened at the combine occurred. Uh, And then you said Richardson at two, or before that, you said Richardson at two, project. But look, stranger things have happened. You know, he has good OTAs. Looks pretty solid in camp preseason. Let's start him week one. Let's start him. We'll put a pack. We'll we'll simplify things. We'll do it. We'll run the ball. We'll play great D. We'll win 24 to 17 against the Cleveland Colts. Browns on opening day. <laughs> yeah, the Browns, yes. Rock yes. and roll. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, that's the scenario that... I don't, I don't know the right way of saying it, but that's the scenario that would make me want to watch Texans football that much more in 2023. Just because Richardson, I, I don't want to see a Texans quarterback go bust. Don't, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think just being able to watch him develop, like I, I've talked to Sal about this. Um, Sal Capaccio, our, our buddy from Buffalo, who's a silent reporter there. And I've told Sal this before that, I have a level of envy, the fact that he gets to watch Josh Allen every day. Like he gets to watch that guy do just unbelievable things with a football in his hands. Like, oh my God, what did he just do? I I get to watch that. I feel like we would have that with Anthony Richardson on offense. And then we would have that with Anthony Richardson on defense, but I would also be holding my breath like, oh my gosh, what, you know, I mean, that is a, that is a 
that is a boom it's exciting bust, but it's it is exciting. exciting now at least i i did i hadn't thought about that one this is the one i was curious to get your thoughts on probably more so than any other and it does include jalen carter at 12 again but this time at two you draft will anderson jr oh at 12 you draft jalen carter because he has fallen into your lap you get arguably the two best defensive players we've seen in a couple of drafts and you get them at two and 12 to go with stingley with petrie with perryman oh man that's a lot of peas and then rankins and ridgeway and malik and Mm-hmm. You get Will Anderson at two, Jalen Carter at 12. How do you feel driving home that night? Does Houston have a good riot control police department, <laughs> police force for the draft party? <laughs> I'm worried. I'm concerned about this. Look, that is that is a hall of two great players. Yeah. I think people are so fixated on quarterback. You know, six. Okay, let me let me change this real fast. People, let me change this. People are getting clicks, Johnny. It's it's two and twelve, and you need a quarterback. A big part of right. the interest here is not just professional football and D'Amico Ryan's being the head coach, and it's the Houston Texans, and here we go, all the draft capital. It's you're going to get a quarterback. Quarterbacks are exciting. So you leave Miller Outdoor Theater that night without a quarterback selected. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a fast-forward one-year approach. Okay. What if you get Will Anderson Jr. and Jalen Carter? You draft a rookie quarterback at some point, be it a hooker at the back end of the first round or, um, I don't know, just anybody not Tanner McKee. You draft them. It's okay. You win five, six games. You're picking fifth or whatever, but you've got ammunition. How are you feeling about that scenario but then you're able to move up to one and draft Caleb Williams from USC. So you end up with Will Anderson Jr., Jalen Carter, but you got to wait a year to get your guy, Caleb Williams, from USC. Put that scenario all together. How are you feeling? You know, I don't want to go through another year of we're just going to piece it together. I know. I, I'm with you. The NFL team, to a degree, pieces it together every year. But I want the plan, and I want the plan in place. Yeah. I don't even have to start the guy week one, but I want the guy in the building. I want who you yeah. think the guy is, the quarterback of the future and the now and the franchise. Like D'Amico was right to not bite into that savior talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Press conference. Absolutely. Be the fa- savior face of the franchise. Everybody's a face of the franchise, right? That's how you have to look at this thing. Mm-hmm. But to me, I want the quarterback in the building this offseason. You can make that happen. There are enough quarterbacks in this draft where you could believe in one. Williams might be the next great thing, but we're saying this stuff about Bryce Young last year. And look at it now. You over-evaluate. Williams might not have as good a year. Cliff Kingsbury shows up. He gets confused. It's a good year, but not a great year. We're finding the flaws. Johnny, you know how it goes. Yeah, I'm not putting any stock into next year. I've just gone through three years of four, four, and three wins. Don't do this to me. Do not do this to me. 2019, including the playoff victory, they won 11 games. Since then, they've won 11 games. I need to be on the right track with the quarterback position and then some this offseason. That is what I want. If I'm Cal and Hannah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I know it's hard to think. I mean, you and I had this conversation how many times last year, and, and it was, to me it was very simple. It was Davis earned the, the opportunity to be a starter. 
Yeah. If it goes spectacularly wrong, you're drafting one or two in the draft. You get one of the top two quarterbacks. Away you go. Well, here we are. And, and we don't know. And we don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, it, it, it could seem logical. But like you said, these NFL teams, obviously Texans included, have so much information at their disposal that, that we don't. We have the most powerful two, I will say. We have the opportunity to watch these guys play football. Like, we've seen them play football. Um, right. So we know whether a guy can play football or not. And I think there are a couple of quarterbacks that can play football and be very, very good at the game of football. But we know, especially at that position, it goes beyond it. So we'll see what they end up doing. But you did a good job with your scenarios. And hopefully one of them hits and gets you driving home Thursday night really in a good mood. Mark, appreciate it. All right, coming up next, Drew Doherty's going to join me for In the Lab. We did a little bit of this as well as we talked about D'Amico Ryan's setting the tone for this organization with his presser on Tuesday. That's next on Texans All Access. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And we are, as I said, 15 days away from Draft Party, Miller Outdoor Theater. Got to get out there. It's going to be fantastic. Big screen on one side. You got uh, Mark Andre and myself, along with Robert Hensley on the other side, breaking it all down all the way through the draft, not just through whatever pick the Texans make because – you know, the Texans could work their way into the back of the second round or back of the first round. So that could be a long night. Either way, it's a long night, but it's fun. It is. It's a blast. And hopefully the weather is like it was last year. It'll be even more fun. So get on out there. Miller Outdoor Theater, Thursday, April 27th. And join us. My guy, Drew Doherty, will be in Kansas City where the draft festivities are going on. And hopefully he'll be catching up with the pick the Texans make uh, who will be at the draft. Hopefully. Um, there have been some years where that player has not been at the draft, but hopefully if they are, then Drew catches up with them and uh, gets FaceTime with them, and that'll be a good thing. But Drew and I had a lot to talk about. Conditioning started. D'Amico Ryan's met with the media. John Mechie in the building. But we had a lot of different things uh, in this in the lab. Take a listen. Let's go. On the way down here, I passed through the dudes. These are back for off-season conditioning. They've got big medicine balls. They're slamming them against walls. I guess that's core work. Yep. They're working with the strength and conditioning staff. We heard earlier from D'Amico Ryans, but it's fun, man. It's it's fun chit-chatting and seeing guys throughout the building through the course of this morning. A moment ago, I wasn't talking with guys because they're working, but you know, I saw Jonathan Grenard earlier today. Saw some of the coaches. Like I said, we heard from D'Amico Ryans. It's nice that they're back in the building. And really... We keep getting closer and closer and closer to the football season because really once the draft happens, it's football time. There's there's a gap in between OTAs and training camp, but it is football once the draft happens because you see those guys right after they're picked. Well, I guess you could probably say that the the football is happening now mm-hmm. because you've got the offseason, um, you know, kind of the, the, the long spring break is over and yep. now you kind of finish up the end of the year and then you get your month break or six weeks or whatever it is. Uh, I've looked kind of at the offseason schedule. It's a, it's it's different. There's kind of this gap after the draft before they kind of get everybody together. I'm assuming there's probably a rookie minicamp in there. Maybe. I, I don't know. But either way, everybody back in the building or, as D'Amico said in his press conference, the participation was high. And so you'd like to think everybody's there. But you never know. I mean, again, conditioning is voluntary. And we have to say that every single year. And everybody's like, what's this guy there? Is that guy there? It's voluntary. You'd like to think everybody was going to be here. You kind of keep that good, positive vibe going um, and keep them going. But there might be guys not here for any particular reason. 
might be having a wife might be having a baby. There might be a family situation. Yeah. There might be anything going on. Who knows? But there are a lot of the guys here and they're getting work done and just hearing those medicine balls against the wall because I'm based down in the studio all the time. So it's so quiet. And then when you hear those medicine balls, you're like, okay, all right. everybody's here. Well, yeah. I, you know, you'd like to think everybody's here, but and, and the guys point, are here. To your point about attendance, as I was walking through, I wasn't checking off who was <laughs> here, but I saw a lot of notable names. Yeah. I'm not going to mention them, but I saw a lot of notable names that were there grinding, Yep. excuse me, sweating uh, and getting to work. So, yeah, for the most part, everybody is here. There's, yeah. like you said, a face or two that's not, but that doesn't necessarily mean much. Yeah, it does, and people are going to make too much of it. People always make too much of it. And by people, I mean some media, some fans. Was this guy there? Be here when it matters. As long as those guys – and I, I remember when it, when it comes to conditioning, my last year of coaching, I, had a, I was coaching at a private school, and so I had kids from all over the city. So I had this – I had this young man it was like an hour and 15 minutes away. And he was my best, probably my best player, my second best player. And I knew he was going to work out. And I made it mandatory for the guys to come together. And I told him, look, I know you got a long drive. That's a long haul. I trust you. If you come back in August and you haven't done the work, I will not hand you the football. He was my tailback. I said, if you're lazy and you're out of shape, I'm not handing you the football. I'm going to make you play outside linebacker. And you're, you're, that's it. He's like, oh, you know, coach, I'll do the work. I mean, I was joking with him because I knew he was going to do the work. He came back. He was probably the most in-shape player. And he appreciated the fact that I allowed him to do that. I said, when you can get in, it's great to see you. The players will love it. But they understood. And so I think it's, you know, in the NFL, there are a lot of different things that are going on. But you don't panic about it. I think everybody's got the good vibes going. And hopefully they'll continue with uh, D'Amico in charge. All right. D'Amico did speak. There were a few notable things that he mentioned as far as, you know, we're concerned. Yeah. One of the things I've not heard coaches say around here and really in general, and maybe I just haven't been listening, but D'Amico brought it up. And then I asked about it there at the very end of the press conference. He said, every player has an individualized plan, which I knew, but I've never heard coaches focus on that and say that out loud this time of year about how, Hey, uh, I want number 77 to do this and we're going to work on specifically this and this and this for him. I knew the strength and conditioning staff always has that, but yeah. there's other things going into it. And it's just, it's cool to hear Ryan's say that maybe I'm making too much of it and it's April and I'm just <laughs> grasping at straws, but <laughs> I've never really heard a coach around here elaborate on that. Yeah. I, I think when you start thinking about the team or the team does everything the right way, the team does everything the right way. And, I do think there has to be a level of individual accomplishment that goes with the team getting to its ultimate goal. I mean, obviously individuals get better and they do it collectively, then the team ends up getting better. And so it's, it's not, I think, I don't want to say it's, it's the most earth shattering thing, Drew, but I do think it's super important mm -hmm. because it's an understanding of not everybody's at the same baseline. And at some point in this press conference, Miko talked about you've got rookies, not yet, but you've got, you know, second year guys, you've got 10, 12 year vets, you know, you've guys that have been with three, four different teams. You have guys that have only been with the Texans. You have all different levels of accomplishment and athletic ability and um, anything that goes with playing this game. And so to think you're going to do the exact same thing for every single guy in this building, I think is sort of foolhardy. And I think attacking it individually with 
a collective goal in mind is absolutely what D'Amico is, is going for and what the staff is going for. This organization is going for. And I think there is a mantra on the, the business ops side, fearlessly evolving. Well, mm-hmm. I think one of those things where you have to fearlessly evolve is to look at team situations different, to look at individuals differently than maybe you have in the past. And the, the, the irony is that I think one of the best ever at understanding what every single player needed was Bill Parcells and Parcells used that um, in so many different ways. You know, Lawrence Taylor was not treated like Phil Sims, who was not treated yeah. like the offensive line, who was not treated like the fourth um, like your punter, on the depth like your chart. kicker, yeah. like your specialty. Yeah, absolutely. They were all sort of unique in their in their ways and and how they went about things. And you know, Phil Sims could take an absolute berating from Bill Parcells, but he might not do that with a few of his other players. Um, Lawrence Taylor, you know, needed that motivation. He needed Bill Parcells to to poke and prod a little bit to get the most out of him. And I, that's, I always think about that when I think about individualized in a team manner, because I do think you have to have that. Not every single player in that particular roster um, has to be treated or should be treated the exact same way. It's just, that's, that's not the way it is. And to your point to then take what that individual does extremely well and take that to a different level and then try and find where are the rough spots and then make that better. So I think there's a, there's a bunch there and what D'Amico was talking about. And I'm glad, I'm glad to see it because to me, that is truly fearlessly evolving. Yeah. You know, D'Amico didn't put a timeline on it. Nick Casario has never put a timeline on it, but we heard nice things about John Mechie, the third wide receiver who was battling and has been battling a form of, uh, of leukemia, but He's part of the program, and they're going to take it day by day, D'Amico said. But the cool stuff Ryan's was talking about is, you know, he's newer to the team, obviously. He's only been here a few months, D'Amico. But he says everything he had heard about Mechie and seen about Mechie has married, those were his words, marries with what he's seen firsthand from Mechie now that he's been in the building and been around him. So cool to stuff. And he, and he went further and said, Mechie is a guy that we like, and we want more guys around this building like Mechie. So I'm not saying he's going to be out there and, and he's going to have 1,500 yards receiving, but looks like he's on a nice path to to making a, an, an impact on this team. And that's the type of guy you need. You need more impact makers here in the building. Yeah, there's no question. And impact makers on the field and hopefully impact makers off the field. Yep. Uh, and John Mechie has always been that. I mean, even before – um, he was struck down with the ACL even before he was struck down with leukemia. Um, he's always been one of those guys. And it's so funny because as soon as he said that in my mind, I went Alabama guys. Uh-huh. And of course, last year they got both number eights from Alabama. Um, they ended up getting um, both John Mechie and Christian Harris. And we saw what Christian Harris is able to do about a little over half the season. And hopefully he's one to take that next level. But in, you know, of course, D'Amico having played at Alabama, didn't play for Nick Saban, but there's something about playing in that particular program. There's a gravitas there. There's an understanding um, of what you have to do to take your game and your team's game to a completely different level. And so, will they draft a player from Alabama? Of course, we know Bryce Young went to Alabama. We, we don't know that. But there are qualities that are taught at Alabama 
at other programs. Um, Clemson is obviously one that's had plenty of players come out of there. We've seen that. Um, now we're seeing it at uh, University of Georgia. Those kind of alpha, those dog qualities, but yet always willing to get better every single day. And it's one of the things that, you know, and what I try and do when I'm doing my draft stuff, it's one of those things that I try and look for. What what makes this guy different? Why is this guy different? It was very easy last year in studying John Mechie to find out why he was different, mm -hmm. what made him different. But we see him every day, even before the conditioning program started. I, I can't tell you the number of times I saw him out in the hallway doing the medicine ball tosses, doing things outside, doing his rehab, getting ready. Um, you know, for when he can be cleared. And that is going to be a tremendous day. I'm, I, I just, I'm, I'm bracing for that day because that's going to be a day when I need the Kleenex um, and I'm going to have to, you know, pat the eyes. Cause that's going to be a really, it's going to be a really incredible day. I remember when David Quesenberry got cleared yep. years ago and what that was like, and I can only imagine what it's now going to be with John Mechie. So i um, excited to see what, what Mechie can do, but the mentality that he brings, whether he plays one down or he plays a thousand downs, it's the mentality that ends up rubbing off. And you see that in Jalen Petrie. Um, I go back to, to Petrie after that game against the Colts in week 18. He had gone out at some point, and I think he was being evaluated for a concussion. But there's this long hallway as you go into the actual locker room that take you from kind of the corridor. Then there's a long corridor that takes you into the locker room. And so I was kind of waiting there um to get coach smith after the game and so as i'm waiting as i'm walking down the corridor i could see somebody at the very end just kind of standing in a t-shirt and a towel just hugging all the guys that are coming in just really excited and you know the the vibe that's that's needed and that was jalen petrie and so you start kind of stacking one guy after the next that kind of all think that way or have those qualities for long you've got something for sure that's Listen, you go back to the 11 and 12 teams. Think about those alphas. I mean, there were some dudes in that locker room. And even some, you know, your buddy, Sean Cody, you know, he was a guy that, you know, didn't get a lot of, a lot of acclaim for his play. He didn't play every single down. He wasn't the most instrumental player, but it was, it was the qualities that he had of being a teammate, of being a great teammate. Yeah. Um, and getting a lot out of his, his defensive line mates too. A lot more than that podcast. Go check it out wherever you get your podcast. In the lab, John Harris, Drew Doherty. All right, we get back. DB Sitter is going to join us to talk a little Nolan Smith. That's who I had in Texas taking a mock draft recently. That's next on Texas All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texas All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And last week, I did my most recent mock. I had the Texas trading down from 12 to 17 and taking Georgia edge rusher Nolan Smith. Well, let's learn a little bit about Nolan Smith through our good friend DP City who caught up with JC Shelton, beat writer who covers the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's learn a little bit about Nolan Smith. Wanted to catch up with you about Nolan Smith. Excited to talk about Nolan here. He had a great combine, probably one of the best combine performances out of the prospects this year. Yeah, let's talk about it because it was historic and I think that was one of the biggest news stories coming out of the combine. 4.39, a 40-yard dash. We saw the simulcast with DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs, but he was faster than any other linebacker. His vertical for um, his weight was the best as well, 41-and-a-half-inch vertical jump. He was the heaviest player to have a vertical over 40 and a 40-yard dash in under 4.4 seconds. So what can teams learn about Smith from his performance, and how does that translate to the tape? 
I think it translates well to the tape from the standpoint of we already knew his strengths was there and we knew the speed was there from ability to close the edge and keep that edge closed for the dogs so they could get that inside tackle um, and, and force tackles for loss there as well. You know, what stands out to me this year, especially on his tape, specifically before his peck injury against Florida, he had played eight games up to that point, and he had the best season he has had as a four-year guy in Athens. I mean, he had 18 total tackles at the time, had a team-high 16 QB hurries, three sacks before the injury, all which led the team. I think that's a really strong showing from him, and, and he, he had to have this season to really prove that stock. And he, and he showed up, and I think he played well in the biggest stage for him at the, at the most important time for his young career. Very strong for the undersized part of this. I, I, he's six foot two. It's not exactly the length you want to see, especially in the NFL. But I think his strength enabled to take on these bigger offensive tackles, which he was doing in the SEC on, on a weekly basis. They didn't push him around. Very good leverage for him at that size. And then his speed, of course. I mean, that's what you want to see out of a pass rusher, especially in NFL defenses where they're going to send that edge more often. Because when you look at these Georgia edge defenders, and we talked about it last year with uh, Trayvon Walker, and he, he actually earned that number one overall pick, even though his sack numbers were not there. And this Georgia team is able to get pressure percentages higher than most teams in college football without having to blitz. Um, they asked their edge defenders to primarily close that edge, force that quarterback to make a decision in the pocket or move out. And that's where we can catch up to them. I think that's just Georgia using the speed of their defense. But that pass rush did improve. He was about he was on pace for his best sack season in Athens. And I think he'll thrive in an NFL system with that ability that we saw on display in the combine. There it is. J.C. Shelton, who covers the Bulldogs for USA Today. Great podcast on Georgia Bulldogs and, of course, our friend D.P. Sitter. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.